The reading this evening is taken from the first book of Samuel, with a little bit from chapter 16 and some of chapter 17. I will guide you through it if you'd like to follow it in the Church Bibles. It's on page 287. 1 Samuel 16, 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul? since I have rejected him as king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. Now chapter 17, verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Sukkah in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes Dimin between Sokah and Azekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another, with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armour of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield-bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, We will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines said, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul And all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. We move on to verse 32. David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a boy, and he has been a fighting man from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion 
and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armour on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield-bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome, And he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. David said to the Philistine, You come against me, with sword and spear and javelin. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I'll strike you down and cut off your heads. Today, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands." As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the scabbard. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead... They turned and ran. 
Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn along the Sharam road to Gath and Ekron. When the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. David took the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem, and he put the Philistines' weapons in his own tent. As Saul watched David going out to meet the Philistine, he said to Abner, commander of the army, Abner, whose son is that young man? Abner replied, As surely as you live, O king, I don't know. The king said, Find out whose son this young man is. As soon as David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul, with David still holding the Philistine's head. Whose son are you, young man? Saul asked him. David said, I am the son of your servant Jesse of Bethlehem. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening, everyone. Good evening. Yes, my name's Chris. If we haven't met, it'd be lovely to meet you afterwards. A long reading, but not a dull reading. Definitely. And let me pray for us as we start. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to you that you are a God who claims to speak to us. So, Father, as you speak to us through your word tonight, we pray that we would have ears to listen and hearts to understand and hearts to turn to you in trust. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Yes, so David and Goliath is um, uh, a familiar story, as uh, Victoria mentions, and actually... Um, quite a, a popular phrase in many ways. Even if you don't know the story today, you might know the phrase. David and Goliath, you know, in a sporting event, that kind of thing. David and Goliath match-up. Um, but what is this story actually about? What's it about? Well, at its heart, this story is very much about God's honour. Uh, what is that, God's honour? Um, God's honour is the thought that um, God is the living God who created all existence and who is totally worthy of all our praise and should be honoured, should be acknowledged for that. Now I realise if you would not call yourself a Christian, you might kind of really struggle with that. Uh, but for Christians, that's a very normal thought. But often in the world, God is not honoured. God can be mocked, God can be ignored, God can be opposed in all sorts of ways. And as Christians, that is a challenging thing for us to deal with. Picture yourself, uh, you're sitting uh, in a workplace perhaps, and your colleagues are talking about Christianity. And one of them says something like, if God exists, he's just a fool. He's a fool, and they have a laugh about it. You overhear that. How does that feel to you? Or picture yourself um, over the kitchen table, perhaps, you know, mentioning God to your parents or your mates, um, and for the hundredth time, they just totally blank you. As soon as you mention God, just totally blank you, move on. How do you feel? 
Or you turn on the news, perhaps, so you hear that um, a Nigerian church has been firebombed by militants overnight. How do you feel when you hear that on the news? In each situation, is God being honoured? No, he's being mocked, he's being ignored, he's being opposed in all sorts of ways. How do you feel at that point? I'd understand if you would feel pretty downhearted, disheartened. You're thinking, God deserves honour, but he's not being honoured. It can feel pretty horrid. Will God be honoured for who he is? Uh, We're in the middle of 1 Samuel, this book in the Old Testament, and very briefly, here's the situation. Uh, 3,000 years ago, God's people, the people of Israel, they were in a mess. They'd chosen their own king, Saul, and like the Israelites, Saul predictably disobeyed God, and he'd gone off the rails, uh, and God effectively kind of impeaches Saul in a way. So he says, that's enough, that's enough, but it's a a slow impeachment process, put it like that. Um, Saul will still officially be king for quite a while, but God has rejected him. And in chapters 16 and 17, well that involves kind of three stories that begin to track the rise of the new king, who is David. And Saul was the people's choice, David is God's choice, God's choice. And in chapter 16 we see David anointed for his kingship. And then particularly in 17, what we see is that God's honour is defied, but through his new choice of king, God restores his honour. So kind of three main sections that we'll look at. Uh, God's honour is defied, David is passionate for God's honour, and then God restores his honour. So we'll go through these in turn. So first of all, God's honour is defied. God's honour is defied. Chapter 17, verses 1 to 11. Let's start at um, verse, verse 1. Um, in verse 1, we see that God's enemies have gathered against God's people. That's what's going on. Uh, let me read. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Socho in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes Damim between Socho and Azekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle lines to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. So the Philistines, they're the, uh, they're the sworn enemies really of Israel. And in earlier chapters, God had humiliated the Philistines. And now they're back. They're back. And in fact, they're inside Israelite land. They're in Sokol, in Judah. That's an Israelite land. And they're gathering against God's people. For revenge. Revenge. And not only have the Philistines returned, but this time they have a giant champion. Verses 4 to 6. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out from the Philistine camp. Goliath. Don't know what the name means exactly, but the word champion means literally a man of the between. A man of the between. Imagine... Oh, I think in, in the First World War, for example, you had kind of a no-man's land in between the two battle lines, didn't you? A horrid place to be. You don't want to be there. But imagine that they settled that war by having a fight between one person from either side. Imagine that. Those two people would be the men of the between, fighting between the two armies. The best, fighting on your behalf. That's Goliath. He's the best. He's up for a fight. 
And he's enormous. So verse 4, his height was over nine feet tall. That's a lot of height. Uh, He's also got a crazy amount of serious armor going on. So verse 5 says he had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. That's almost 60 kilograms, not far off my weight, actually. Um, On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a, a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels, that's 70 kilograms. So, and he even has a shingle bearer as well, so that's you know, good for him. Uh, this guy, he's wearing a lot of kit, a lot of kit which protects him, but also means he's, he's very strong to be able to, kind of, uh, to wear it. If you're an Israelite, this guy is scary to look at. And he's even more scary in what he says. You see, he challenges Israel. He challenges Israel. Verse 8. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. So here is the challenge to them. Israel, choose a man to fight me. Winner takes all. If he wins, all the Philistines will be your slaves. But if I win, Israel, you become our slaves. If you're Israel, this is not a good challenge. It is not. Not at all. Now, as well as being totally scary in his size and what he says, uh, Goliath's challenge is, well, it's all the worse because what he's doing is defying God's honor. Verse 10. And the Philistines said, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. So I defy the ranks of Israel. Israel, I defy you. Now the Philistines knew that defying Israel meant defying Israel's gods. Israel was all about uh, the fact that they claimed to worship the true God of all existence. And remember that God had humiliated the Philistines' own God, and now it was revenge time. Goliath wants to trash God's honor, defeat Israel, and their God will be shamed. Think of a, a silly example of what how that kind of works. You know, if um, you have two sets of parents, uh, both their kids play on the same football team or different teams, uh, and one of them um, wants to get revenge on another set of parents by making the other boy lose the game of football or something. You know, take revenge on the parents by using the kids, as it were. But there are more serious examples of that. Um, You could... uh, At the end of July, there was uh, an incident in a shop in Worcester where some men attacked a a three-year-old boy, a three-year-old boy uh, with acid in the face. Horrendous. But why do they do that? Because they were having a dispute with the boy's mother. Horrendous attack. But they aimed to humiliate the mother by harming and shaming this child. Goliath aimed to humiliate God by harming Israel, by trashing Israel. 
And not surprisingly, the Israelite army is terrified, absolutely terrified. Verse 11, on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. I think the word dismayed in our English language is a bit bit of an understatement, really. I mean, the senses of being kind of shattered, broken. Notice even Saul is terrified. So Saul was uh, the best leader Israel could think of. They chose him. He was tall and strong, the tallest of them all. But even he is totally terrified. God's honor is being defied here. Now, 3,000 years on from this event, how does this connect with our lives today? Well, we did talk earlier about Christians uh, feeling downhearted when God is clearly not being honored. We talked about that, didn't we? Now, God is um, opposed in all sorts of different ways. But what are the greatest enemies against God? What are they? They are surely uh, death and sin. They defy God's honor more than anything. By sin, I mean human evil rooted in our rejection of the living God. And even though Christians believe the solution to death and sin is found in Jesus Christ, death and sin still challenge us as Christians deeply. They can terrify us. We need to know, what does God do about it? Will God actually be honoured? Because often that really doesn't feel like it. Let's move on in the story. Uh, We've noticed that Saul, the people's choice of king, he's terrified. Uh, But then we're introduced again to David. David. God had chosen David as his own king of Israel. And what we see is that David, God's choice, is is passionate for God's honour. So that's our next main section. He's passionate for God's honour. We see this in a few different places. Uh, Verse 26. Uh, David asked the men standing near him, What will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Do you see? David says, Israel's disgrace defies the honour of the living God. David is passionate for God's honour here. So David volunteers to fight Goliath. Saul says, don't be ridiculous, you're just a boy. Goliath is a warrior, no chance, don't do it. Verse 36. But but David said to Saul, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Because he has defied the armies of the living God, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Again, do you see? David says, Goliath is defying the living God. I'm horrified by that because God should be honored. But God will deliver me. He's done so in the past. He can do so again. So Saul says, okay then, go and the Lord be with you. So David gets ready to fight and Saul gives David his armor, but it just kind of weighs him down, useless. He says, all I need, he thinks, all I need is five stones and a sling. And we know the story, don't we? 
So then he approaches Goliath. He approaches Goliath. Verse 46. This day the Lord will hand me over to you, he says to Goliath, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Do you see? A third time, David says, Goliath, you're defying God, but God should be honoured. God will show you and show the world that he is there. He is there. David is desperate for God to be honoured again. Which takes us to our final main section. Our final main section. Verses 48 to 54. God restores his honour. God restores his honour. So starting at verse 48. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. One stone, one hit. David defeats Goliath. It made me think of, um, maybe you remember a few years ago, if you follow cricket, um, a guy called Philip Hughes. Very sadly, he, he was hit by a bouncer. And a cricket ball straight in the side of the head. And his knees buckled, just died almost instantly. David defeats, defeats Goliath. Verse 50. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. The point here is, yes, David defeats Goliath, but, but really it's God who defeats his opponents. David had told Goliath, um, God will save, but not by the sword, not by the sword. And that's what happens. Without a sword in his hands, You see it written there. David is totally clear in his mind. I've got a sling, but it's God's work. He's he's rescued me there. It's him defeating his opponents. Totally clear in David's mind. Then from verse 51. David ran and stood over Goliath. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the scabbard. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead... They returned and ran. And the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn along the Shirim road to Gath and Ekron. When the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered the camp. David took the Philistines' heads and brought it to Jerusalem. And he put the Philistines' weapons in his own tent. What's going on there? Well, what we see in this part is that after defeating his opponents, God restores his honour in the world. That's what's going on in this point. Goliath had defied God's honour, hadn't he? He said, I defy the God of Israel. I will crush Israel to show that their God is nothing. 
But look how God turns this right around. Goliath's sword is it's a symbol, really, of, of human strength and defiance against God. So David takes it and then uses it against Goliath. Chops off his head. And in fact, David takes the head, it's a bit grim, but David takes the head to Jerusalem. Did you notice that? Now, that might not have happened until kind of many years later, actually, uh, because only later on under David, Jerusalem became uh, Israel's capital. But the point in saying that is that God restores his honor in the world. It might seem a bit strange to us, so let me explain. Um, Think of uh, the United Nations, the UN, um, uh, their task is to make peace in the world, isn't it? Um, and there are all sorts of um, horrible current conflicts in the world, uh, including Ukraine, Syria, Yemen, or so many conflicts. And in many ways, those conflicts um, humiliate the UN, don't they? Their task is to make peace, and these conflicts humiliate. They can rob the honor of the UN. They can't do anything about it. Imagine the UN somehow stopped all wars, all conflicts in the world today. Imagine that. Wonderful. And then imagine they took trophies from those conflicts, kind of uh, tanks, barrel bombs, whatever it is, and they took it into the New York building of their headquarters of the UN. And um, they made an enormous, great big trophy cabinet on top of the tower for all the world to see. The point would be, look at our trophy cabinet. Look at the tanks, the barrel bombs, look at it. The whole world can see conflict is done, defeated. The UN has done it. Look at Goliath's head in Jerusalem. That's what it's saying. It's as if the whole world could see the one who defied God is dead. The one who wanted to rob God of his honor. God says, he is defeated. I've done it. God restores his honor. And notice verse 52 that in doing so, he turns the people of Israel from being terrified to being fearless. Did you notice that? That beforehand they were kind of frozen on the battle line, weren't they? And now they surge forward against the Philistines. They were terrified. They're now fearless. Complete transformation. So God saves Israel through David. And later on, God will establish David as the real king of Israel. And David is also the one who points forward to the even greater king, of course. He points us forward to Jesus Christ. He's a shadow of Jesus Christ. And with that in mind, again, how does this connect with our lives today? How does it connect? Well, let's take a step back and think about this as we come towards our finish. Death and sin defy God's honour, just like Goliath. What does Jesus Christ do about it? If you're not familiar with Christianity, this is the very heart of the good news about Jesus. What does Jesus do about sin and death? Two things. First, God the Father chose God the Son, Jesus Christ, to restore his honour by defeating sin and death. How did he do that? By dying himself. By absorbing the power of death and sin into himself, into his own body, executed on the cross, so that death and sin don't have that total power anymore. 
They still hurt us. They do, of course. But they don't have total power over us. Jesus' resurrection declared that this really worked. And in doing so, Jesus restored God's honor. Sin and death defeated. Not only that, but secondly, Jesus has experienced in himself opposition and then honor. Opposition and then honor. Jesus came from the highest honor with his father since all eternity. He came down to earth. He endured opposition. He endured opposition from people in their sin and opposition from death itself. Hebrews uh, chapter 12 in the New Testament says this. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, for the, for the, for the joy and honour perhaps, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. It's saying, take heart. Take heart by looking at Jesus. Look at, perhaps first of all, the, the holes in his hand and in his feet. In a sense, they are God's trophies of defeating death and sin. Look at his hands and his feet. And look at where he is. He is sitting now at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus, who suffered the scorn of the cross, the humiliation, is now honoured. And he honours his Father. Take heart by looking at Jesus. Think back to uh, the office, the kitchen table, TV news. God is mocked. We know that. We can be disheartened. We can be downhearted. Or maybe you feel it when you're having just a, a really hard time and you're grieving or you're sick and you just always just feel really crushed by life. You feel the world is mocking you and, and people feel people saying, see, your God isn't helping you. It's hard, but, but we don't need to be disheartened, downheartened. We do not need to fear. Through Jesus, who endured mockery, endured opposition, and is now honoured at God's throne. Through Jesus, God has defeated death and sin. God is honoured. Take heart. Look at Jesus. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we praise you. We praise you. All the honour is yours, Lord. You deserve all the honour. You are worthy of all glory. And we praise you that though there is opposition in all sorts of ways, and particularly in death and sin, Lord, though there is opposition, you will be honoured. You are honoured in the heavens through Jesus. We are sorry that uh, when we're disheartened, which can happen, Lord, that we're sorry that we don't always trust you. Please help us to trust you. 
Help us to look to Jesus and to put our trust in him who endured and is now honoured. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.